0: Back in on Canuck Central, Satyar Shah with Bick Nazar. We are going to be joined by Yannick Hansen coming up in a couple of minutes. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Cup final gets going on Saturday. And, you know, there, there's been quite a layoff here for the Florida Panthers, Bick. I mean, they're going to have the better, what, 10 days off? Uh, between games here, getting into the Stanley Cup Final. The Vegas Golden Knights, they have a bit of a break, but a, f- a far shorter one. And to discuss that and more, let's bring in our favorite guest, Yannick Hansen, to the show. Yannick, always a pleasure getting you on the show, man. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm good. How are you?
0: We're doing well. We're doing well. We're getting, we're, we are getting excited for uh, the Stanley Cup Final. Plus, the off season is very, very close, and we'll see what the Canucks do. But, you know, we were just discussing... Having a long layoff, and going back to 2011, you guys dispatched the San Jose Sharks in five games. The Boston Bruins won seven games, but you had a bit of a break between uh, the, the conference finals and the Stanley Cup final. This one's a far longer, but is that a good thing or a bad thing, having that much time off?
1: Um, it's twofold. It's bad in the sense of, of staying in your rhythm and everything, and game practice, game practice, and that stuff. It's good in a sense that you don't risk injuries. Um, So in a perfect world, I'd prefer to play every other day all the way through the playoffs. Um, uh, And all pun intended, obviously, you'd prefer not to go to game seven. But the reason you don't want to do that is you don't want to risk getting injured. Um, But that being said, once you're done in four games now, you don't want to be sitting 10 days either because you're idling. It's almost like um, the teams that are in the playoffs in January, February, and they're just waiting for April. And then the teams that are fighting for their lives right up until the end they, they start at a different at a different pace. obviously, this is a smaller scale, but you are removed from uh, from game pace, and when you 've been gone for ten days it 's like an Olympic break.
2: What did you do in the downtime between uh, conference final and final in two
1: thousand eleven We had a couple of days off, um, then we came back and uh, uh, we, we started slowly getting back into uh, to the grind of things, put, picking up the pace as, as we got closer. Um, and then obviously we found out. So even after Boston uh, beat Tampa there, there were still quite a few days. So we had enough days in between there. It wasn't like it was two days after day one that our series started. So there was enough time to uh, get the whole package done on, on, on Boston and you go through their team like you do any other time. Um so it's, uh, it's more so a mental battle in between those series starts because you want to get them going as quick as possible. I keep coming back here. Obviously, if you're injured, you like the rest because you get your guys back. Um, but but if everybody is healthy and everything, then you'd, you, you, you'd like to be playing that every other day just to, to keep in the motion of things. And the body knows what to expect and everything. Um, once you start taking more days off um, – get a little bit lazy and oh we're not skating as hard today because it's it's a rest day kind of thing and and then all of a sudden we got to pick back up and you kind of shock everything
0: well, you, you kind of mentioned you do the preparation and scouting reports in your experience how much of what you kind of scout and talk about ahead of a series is applicable when a series begins and how how surprised are you still by things the other team does like like how much of that can you actually prepare for and and how much would you actually see
1: um well the first three rounds are easier because because we saw those teams so often and and we knew them very good. Um where Boston was um back then I think we only played them one time a year and it was uh it's one of them you, you one time we go there one year we we they come to us kind of thing so you didn't know a whole lot of them so you you pay a little bit more attention to to tendency on certain players where when we run into Patty Kane or Joe Thornton, like we we kind of know what they're about, so you don't need to do the big scout there. Where um, Patrice Bergeron or Brad Marchand or uh, Mark Recchi, uh, Nathan Horton, these guys that we didn't see very often, you needed to see a little bit more video on, a little more a bit more of the scouting reports on them. What are they good at? Tenancy? Um, what do they do and stuff like that? So there, there's a little bit more material uh, on Boston that you. Dove into a little bit deeper, where, like I said, when we played the the usual suspect, uh, you know what to expect. How quickly did you have to
2: feel you had to change the game plan then during a series, too?
1: Um, You try not to change because you try to play your game. You keep hearing it in every series. We like we want to play our game. We want to play our style. We want to face them, force them to adopt to us. That that is the best way. Um, There's a reason you are there. That's the way you're playing. If you can play your game, your style, what you should be best at it gives you the best chance of winning obviously sometimes you you make adjustment on the fly um are they doing something that you weren't expecting um are they having a player all of a sudden that are above and beyond then you need to pay a little bit more attention to than you thought you needed to when the series started then you make these adjustments as to as to matchups and stuff like that but all of that is uh is no different than than when we just play a regular season game and stuff like that that you uh, you you change things on the fly
0: you know you, you kind of mentioned you don't want to see – coaches don't want to change too much. And I, I know we've spoken in the past that when coaches start changing things, sometimes players start doubting the message too a little bit and, and question what's going on. What's the, easy, like, what's the easiest way for a coach to lose a room? Is it changing their word quickly? Like, what's the thing that you think causes the biggest issue?
1: Um, a message can get stale. So we, we, we keep hearing about Daryl Sutter. Um, he, he's got a shelf life because he's so hard and so demanding um and, and that's what and again it that that message can also be it too too mild uh, in the other in, in the other side of things like uh it's too happy to we just go out and we just go through our motions and we play and we play well um so so again the the message can't get stale um you you gotta find a way to keep engaging uh, uh players and stuff like that um in, in order to keep them them focused and here we're not talking. 10, 15 games. when we're talking from season to season, because um, once you're you're in a season, whatever you you try to to obviously barrel down, and if everybody aren't pulling in the same direction, it, it doesn't work, and it, it shines through right away.
2: We're looking at these the the, the final four coaches here too, in, in particular, like they're all experienced coaches, and then here's Maurice, here's Bruce Casti, you know coaches that have had previous jobs and, and we're always looking for new ideas, new, new philosophies. And yet I look at these four coaches, they've all been here for so long. And we are talking about, Hey, losing the room at the same time, like these guys have just kind of been through everything. And I, I'm curious, like the, the coaching aspect of this final Maurice versus Cassidy here and, and why these two have, have shined so much for you.
1: Yeah. Again, it, it's, it's a funny thing. Cause, uh, they, like these coaches they 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 got fired last year mm-hmm. and they get picked up and they take their team. Maurice didn't get fired. He kind of left on his own, but it weren't going well in Winnipeg when he left. So like it's again, you need the team, you need the players and all these things, but, but these coaches are good at what they do. They're they, they keep recycling. They know what they're doing, but that message over the, over the years can get stale. Um, players are a lot harder to interchange and players, the good players on teams tends to stay there longer. Um, and then, again, they, they, need, uh, they need a new voice once in a while in order to keep things fresh. And then that coach that are actually pretty good and have done some good things gets fired. And the next day, boom, he's at a, with a new organization. And in the final, Bruce Cassidy, Cassidy obviously. So, so it's one of those things where these guys, they're, they're so detailed. Uh, their, their preparation are, are probably second to none uh, in what they do. They know exactly how they want to play they have an idea of right now as to how it takes to win. Obviously it helps uh, in Florida that you have a goalie that are playing lights out, but Vegas have been, have been good from uh, pretty much since they entered the league. But it's a, it's a team that you looked at that that could do some, some damage this year. Um, they have, which is a hard thing because it's one thing to be expected to do things. It's another thing to follow through as well. Um, so uh, there are some, some great storylines in this final, that's for sure. Not just player and personnel-wise, but, but also behind the benches.
2: We're in the hiring cycle right now of, of GMs and, and coaches also getting hired this week. When a new coach is hired, um, how, how long does it take for a coach to reach out to the players? Do you, do you have a meeting? Did you wait till September to, to connect with the new coach?
1: Uh, no, they, they tend to, um, call you during the summer, depending on when they get hired, of mm-hmm. course. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, they tend to make the calls, um, around due to summer just to get a sense, say hello, hire you, get on a personal level, stuff like that. Um, and then the, the, it's, it's a one-off, like, at least for me, I didn't have uh, deep conversations with, with either Willie or, or towards, um, when, when they got hired in any mm-hmm. sense in the off season, if you will, um. Know, it, it was a one, uh, one phone call, just, hey, introduce yourself, and, and stuff like that. And then everything was, once, um, was when the season started and camp rolled around. Then you started having some more meetings, uh, expectations from them to you, uh, and stuff like that. Uh, getting a sense of, of how players tick, if, if you will, what makes them go, what, what doesn't make them go as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as far as the Stanley Cup final itself is concerned, and, you know, we talk about how the coaching has been impressive, and we know – Obviously, there are some key players for both teams that have gotten gotten them this far, but we had a discussion with Kevin Woodley earlier this week, and he was kind of mentioning that the team that can kind of get to the center of the ice, especially on these goalies, is going to probably be the team that gets in the middle of the ice, the team that probably does have the most success and wins this series. But that's always easier said than done, right? And both these teams have done a really good job of, of limiting those chances in the middle of the ice, and that's what makes it really fascinating, but... How, like, how do you see that playing out, and how hard is it to exploit that area of the ice?
1: Yeah, there's no question that's where you score the goals, in front of the net and in the middle of the ice. Uh, you control that, you control a lot. Um, that being said, more things goes into that. You need a good forecheck, too. You need to be able to turn over pucks. You need to be able to get pucks back in the offensive zone as well. Um, and these two teams do that in spades as well. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me, not just in, in the Vegas series and in the last game, but throughout, is they play with so much speed. Like some of the goals they're scoring, they're backing off defenders, forcing you to give up the blue lines. It, it makes life easier for you as a team when you get free ice. Um, Florida, on the other hand, is a little bit more—they're um, uh, a little bit more specific as to what they need to go right. Um, they've had a little bit of luck on the power play kachuks have been lights out uh obviously and then their goalie has has put them a, in a position where uh, at one point they were fighting for for a playoff spot and now they're uh they're about to uh, embark in, in the stanley cup finals uh so it's uh, like i said uh, there's a lot of things to take away uh, a lot of things that needs to go right um and we can talk about middle of the ice uh forechecking special teams all those things uh you you, you kind of need them all but but uh there are obviously some that are more important than all than
2: others. When we talk about that that middle of the ice, especially at this stage of the playoffs, and, and you know fatigue starts to, to play such a role, and and it gets taken away, you know, what's the quick fix? Is it just a, any puck towards the the net kind of does it? But you're, you're kind of giving up control in that way, and you're relying on battles and rebounds. That that middle part of the ice at this stage, uh, like how, how how important is it to to, to try to overcome
1: uh, any obstacle in that way? yeah that's why you send goal as goal kind of goes away in the playoffs mm-hmm. because it gets harder to get to those areas mm-hmm. and it's because there's more tension to it as well um you you can't just uh you can't, you can't just just rely on on skill anymore it it's uh, it, it's it's hard work it's it's ugly goals that that's what's going to get it done um, and that's what uh have a hard time teams that have a hard time adjusting to that won't be able to get that done and and then you're looking at players that scored 40 goals in in the regular season, and all of a sudden, now this scoring goes away. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: well, and as far as the, the biggest challenge, I guess, for facing the Florida Panthers is going to be beating Sergei Bobrovsky. And how challenging is it to go up against a goalie who is as hot as he is? Like the way he's been going, is you know he's clearly been the top goalie so far in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, it it's, it's that thing you're waiting for that one game where he kind of goes back to how he was in the, in the regular season and if he's able to uh, uh if you're able to get to him then you can throw a regular wrinkle into uh into Florida's plans because right now I'm sure they're thinking they're unbeatable. Um, they've taken out Boston, they've taken out Toronto, um and yeah, yeah, Boston they they need a little bit of luck into seven and stuff like that, but the other ones were were in convention fashion and um, so you, you need to throw a, a wrinkle in that, if you will, and, and throw some doubt into that room. And the only way you're going to do that is by getting to Bobrovsky. Because um, right now, he, there's no question he's the backbone. And if you don't start scoring on, on him, there's no chance they're not going to be believing that they can win it all. Game one of the, of the,
2: of the cup final, you obviously look, you want to play your own game and all that sort of stuff. You mentioned, hey getting to Bobrovsky, is is, is there an element where you want to kind of set the tone as your team? Like, how important is the first few minutes of of game one?
1: They're all important. Um, You want to get off to a good start and all these things. Um, And again, game one, it's nice to get off to a good start. Mm -hmm. You need four wins. You're not going to get to four without one. The earlier you get it, uh, the the better it is for you. Uh, It's been a long wait from both of these teams now by the time they get to... To, to a hockey game again, so you want to get right back into, into the things and, and get that feel of, of winning. Well, and, you know,
0: there are a lot of great players in this series. We talk about Bobrovsky, obviously, but there's Matt Kachuk, there's Jack Eichel. If you're looking at any individual player in this series, who's the guy you think is probably going to be the most impactful?
1: That's Bobrovsky, no question. Vegas is, is, in my opinion, a better team, deeper team. Um, the only thing that can change that is him. Um, he he will need to be just as good as he was uh, in order for for them to, uh, to to take a stab at it. Um, if he revolves back to to how he played in the regular season and and beyond that, uh, they'll have a very hard time uh, competing. At least that that's what I think. So um, again, you can be proven wrong, but uh, he he will be the key in in that series for for both teams.
2: When a player like Kachuk is playing the way he is, and look, he's having success. Uh, scoring goals but he does so much more than just score goals and we can talk about forechecking like he, he's just a focus and a bit of a nuisance in general uh well, what happens on the bench to try to um stay focused on your task rather than not get distracted uh, by a player who's having success on the other side
1: yeah again if uh, that, that's tough because he's having a lot of success right now you'd love to take him uh in a penalty box and go with him, and then you would love to switch to just about any player right now uh, that are willing to that he's willing to go with because he's so important to them. Um, but it seems like it just elevates. Comes back. Um, so again, you talk about letting players sleep. Um, I don't think you can get him to sleep not at this point. Um, so you're trying to contain him, obviously, um, not not let him get his uh, any momentum for his team, whether it's it's through agitating or. Obviously, scoring is the is the easiest way to keep them from gaining momentum. Uh, you're probably not going to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, again, that's uh, that's that's the that's the tall task uh, away from Bobrovsky that, that Vegas is going to face. Uh, find a way to contain that line.
0: Uh, before I let you go, the final one for me. I just thought about it. Who is the player who was the hardest to get off his game? You think that you played against?
1: Get off. Oh, well, you talk about Sidney Crosby, right? Right. but again, we didn't play against him that often. Um, but but uh, there, there was a lot of guys that, that you couldn't get off. And even when you tried to get them all and off their game, it, it just elevated it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so again, it, it, that's a tough one when you want to pick out one player among the bunches. But, but like I said, uh, Sydney had an act for, uh, you know, still does, you're almost impossible to get to him, no matter what what uh, went at him. That being said, we never played them that mm-hmm. often or, or that much or saw them in the playoff. But, you kept uh, appreciating what he did, did, did when you watched him on TV.
2: Was it often the players that talked the least or was it the players that talked the most that, that, that were difficult to push off their game?
1: Uh, the ones that talked the most, then you kind of get to it and then you mm-hmm. you're thinking like, uh, uh, again, get them worried or focused about something else. But again, the ones that talked the most are not the ones you're the most afraid of on their team normally. Right. They, they were, again, trying the same same thing like trying to get some of your guys off their game Um, and then again if you can get these guys uh, going at each other instead uh, you're better players that much better off for it.
0: Hey Yannick uh, great stuff as always man appreciate your time enjoy the weekend and we'll chat with you again next week. Okay sounds good thank you. Uh, That is Yannick Hansen and this insider is brought to you by Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam and Magnuson Ford and Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. And that's Yannick. Always a beauty. And, I mean, I guess that's the way it goes. The guys who talk the most are probably the easiest to get to because eventually, you know, they're just yapping. Eventually, you'll get to them, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it always kind of fascinates fascinates me with the the guys that can remain composed and take the yapping and just say, like, I'm going to be me. Keep up with me.
0: Yeah, I'm not worried about but, it.
2: But the guys I feel that can yap and back it up, aren't they everyone's
0: kind of favorite? Kind you know, of I mean player? that was Jordan essentially, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the epitome of it. But let I me mean, even like Shannon Sharp was like that. You see him now with his personality, but he was always yeah, yapping. Sharp. He was. He was always yeah. and he's always smiling and yapping. He mm-hmm. was like never really angry. It's sports, it's meant to be fun. Yeah, it is. Well, guys who can make it fun. I mean, really? they've got some legends like that. I mean, Burroughs was was he, a beauty that way. You know he, he's a big yapper, Tom Brady tom brady talking about coming back again. big big yeah
2: <laughs> but you, a lot of players will say like tom brady talks some trash yeah and
0: cool as a cucumber yeah on to the next play yeah and and there are some guys like um amara mentions on twitter um that you never wanted to piss off like Aginla. like you know yeah. that he and you know he kicked your ass and he scored two goals and it was true i mean but sometimes like if you Iginla was just kind of quiet, you just leave him, let him be quiet, and mm-hmm. he kind of be quiet the rest of the game. Like He had times, if you kind of let him be, he just wouldn't do anything. And I guess everybody has off games or whatever, but it seemed like he really needed that ignition. Hey, special players can be special for eight minutes and win you a game. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's what it's he like, was. Right? Hey, I'm
2: playing 22 tonight, but right. if I only to give it for seven minutes and we're still going to get out here with two points, awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, we see that in the past. But I think that's, I mean, there are players like that, too. You got to be careful with how you want to rile them up and when you want to do it. And I think Matthew Kachuk, in in so many ways, controls that aspect of this Stanley Cup Mm -hmm. final. You know, like, his emotional level is going to be really dictating, I think. But you you know the funny thing about all this, too? I just thought about it is, But
2: I I don't think it's Matthew Kachuk's emotional level. No. I
0: think it's Vegas' emotional level. Yeah, how they deal with Matthew Kachuk. And that's fair. And I think it's really interesting because it wasn't that long ago we were talking about Matthew Kachuk's antics mm-hmm. and whether his teammates would tire of it and whether he's immature at times and how he behaves and acts and forces teammates to fight for him sometimes and doesn't like all well, well, those that was a conversation. No, it was a real conversation. It was now he it's flipped like, the puck, remember? Yeah, he flipped yeah. the puck and everything. There's so many different things that happen, right? Now, however, it seems like he's completely in control. And well, it's it's so far it has been at least. A bunch of Panthers teammates, first year of dealing with yeah. it. <laughs> maybe it changes. It's all fresh to them. They're like, "Oh, this is awesome. <laughs> it's great." After year four, they're like, "Oh, we got to do this again." But I think part of it also was, you know, it was. I think the issue, and I talked to some former players. Maybe we, you know, we didn't have time with Yannick, but if you make other people fight your fights, sure. when does that get tiring? Every yeah. once in a while, it's fine. It's like you you, you gotta control that. And I've told the story before, but one of the big reasons Matt Cook got traded from Vancouver was. It wasn't just the antics, but there was one time in particular. He was running around. He wouldn't back it up. They wanted somebody wanted to fight him, and, and Matthias Olin had to fight. And he had a busted knee and a busted eye, and, and it just drew AV nuts. And they were just organizationally pissed. They're like, man, he's like, we get it, but you can't allow this guy to go and fight your battle because you're not, you know, you're you're cowering, you're running away from this fight or whatever it is. And there is a point where that happens, but he's been just so in control and just such a impactful player, it hasn't really mattered.
2: And doing it on the score sheet, right? Like, that's the thing that just – it's got to be so frustrating. Yeah, This guy's needling you. This
0: guy's doing everything. Yeah, 100%. In the whistles. And, by the way, OT winner, OT winner, just crushing it. 100%. Uh, Jeremy Langley, Yarker Rutu, the goat sure. yapper. Yeah, he was great, too. I-, I wonder how many um Vegas Golden Knights
2: are going to come up with TNT smack. Just be like – so, what
0: were you wearing on the uh, panel? You couldn't no. wear a suit. No, can't wear, can't wear a suit. Uh, all right, Mike and Campbell River said, "I hope you have Lowry as your three C target," and that's a bit of a um, a tease to one of the discussions we're going to have next. We'll talk about some of the moves around the National Hockey League. Brad Trail living in Toronto, and we'll talk about Cal Dubas in Pittsburgh. Some center, some center targets for the Canucks. Of course, we got Yannickas in this past segment, and we'll take some of your questions. I see the one from silver and black Canuck. We'll get to all that and more right here on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Get smarter when you listen to Hockey Talk, the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. In on Canuck Central. If you missed the previous segment, Yannick Hansen is available on podcasts as always. Any favorite podcatchers? Satyar Shah with Bick Nazar on Canuck Central. A lot to get to here on the show and keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650, 650 in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dunbar, dunbarlumber.com. We're, we are going to talk to Brady Jaeger in the final segment of the show, so that is coming up, and we'll take some of your questions and uh, talk some NBA finals as well during the last segment uh, with that kicking off. And also, we'll answer a question about a new kickoff rule, but that's coming up a bit later on the show. And uh, we'll get, get to some Canucks talk in a second, but some pretty big news here in the National Hockey League today. And, and I must say, bit given kind of how the Kyle Duba situation in Pittsburgh was unfolding and how, how it was taking kind of time, I didn't think he was going to end up there. So I will say I was a bit surprised that he ended up taking that job and that being announced this morning. Yeah. Quick turnaround
2: yeah. for uh,
0: Cal Duas, who uh,
2: famously said he, he he's, he's not sh- showing up on a uh, spot.
0: Okay. About that, there's been a lot of, you know, back <laughs> when we saw sit who loves to uh, stir the pot, really went after him, and yeah. others have gone after him too. And I mean, hey, if you look at it just strictly in a vacuum you can say well he said that now he's going back on his words like what's going on why did he lie but it's clear there's more to the situation but despite there being more to the situation should should people not be able to hold that against him in any degree like is he completely innocent in terms of like hey i wanted to come back i made it clear they kicked me to the curb so now i'm going to the next job how calculated was that statement by him because i I also I see people defending and be like, well, the thing, the, you know, the landscape mm-hmm. changed. What do you want him to do? Not go and take a job. And I have th- sympathy for that. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not even saying don't get a go again and get a job. But I wonder how genuine that statement was in the first place. How many times do I have to say it? Players, coaches, execs when they meet with media. They can lie. They can't. And i like, like, I don't have a problem with it. No, no, like, not even do I. But Live I just, your life, man. But, but. I, I see a lot of like, be like, hey, listen, he he wanted to go back to Toronto and yeah. they're the ones who kept the, kicked them to the curve. And I'm like, did they? Like, I know they did, but did he also almost encourage it with some of the things he did and said? Like, was that almost something he dared them to do? And hey, he was willing to, for it to happen if he dared them, right? He was willing to walk away and willing for it oh, to end. Yeah. And it did. But for somebody who was willing to take that type of a leap don't you think he would have understood that there was a decent chance he wasn't going to come back? So if he knew going into it that he's going to play a little bit of hardball, which is fine, but if he does, there's probably a chance that he won't come back, then how genuine was that statement? I think Kyle Dubas knew what he was doing. That's what I think too. And I'm not saying he's being completely disingenuous. But all I'm saying so he's I'm playing the game. I'm 100%. I think you nailed it. He's yep. playing the game. And play the game all you want, but that's why I don't like taking sides and be like, hey, man, what do you want to do? It's like, it's, I don't know, man. There, there's a lot of like... I, Brandon Shanahan totally got, you know, got all twisted up and and whatever. But I can also understand from his perspective, here's a guy, like Brian Burke said, he's kind of waffling on his desire to be here. And as soon as that happens, you're in your right to be like, all right, we want somebody who's fully all in here. Like, because I get it's not easy for your family. I played 20 years in NHL. It wasn't easy for my family. It's not easy for my family right now either. And we get it. But, hey, if that's a problem for you, then maybe it is better for you to go somewhere else, right? So Brendan Shanahan's playing the game too. He's playing the game as well. But so,
2: as much as we'd love for everyone to be honest, all of the time
0: and forthcoming, yeah, that was Kyle Dewis playing the game. Yeah, And, and, and look, he got his reward. And like Minor Madden Abbasford said, there's more stability as a president of hockey ops and GM. Good for him for climbing a rung. And, and that's yeah. completely, and you know what he did, right? It wasn't just about leaving, getting another GM job. It was like he got Shanahan's job. And mm-hmm. when you think of it in terms of like, um, a conglomerate and how much potentially he has to move up and do other things because you know Fenway Sports Group will own soccer teams and baseball and all that is that an avenue so there's a lot of growth potential there now obviously there's that potential too with Rogers owning the Blue Jays and everything but there's a different structure in place because mm-hmm. there's a guy above him already right so I think I do think ultimately based on him taking this job too that this is what he wanted all along this type of freedom and if he wasn't going to get it in Toronto he wasn't going to take less to be there like he wanted to take a premium to not be that guy in Toronto Uh,
2: our guy Amaro on Twitter at Taze5 they can lie but they shouldn't be shady to the guy who gave him his shot in the league Uh, loyalty is just a word in the dictionary baby yeah man that's it yeah get paid get your promotion worry about number one and then (laughs) and then build the team obviously but
0: if he if he tried to be loyal and they pulled the job, are you going to sit there unemployed and go like, oh, at least I was loyal? Yeah, no. I mean, the loyalty gets you know. Sometimes loyalty, you know what loyalty gets you? Like it, it gets you. Thanks, yeah, exactly. So you got to be careful sometimes, right? Mike and Willoughby. Smart people don't have a job unless they have another one lined up. Kyle is smart, and hey, I'm not downplaying it. All I'm saying is, I question how genuine that statement was, and I I also. Eh, I'm not fully on board of like, oh, poor Kyle, what do you expect him to do? And it's like, yeah. eh. and there's more calculation here on both sides than I think people give credit for. He sent an email. Dude, <laughs> This is my. I don't want to go anywhere, but here's an email. Was a fax not available? <laughs> Can you not fax the guy that you're coming back and put number yeah. 23 on it in and, and homage to Michael Jordan did, announcing did his return? Did everyone
2: act in the best faith in this whole breakup? Yeah. I don't think so. That's but, like, again, you're allowed to act however you want. Because I'm sure, deep down... Kyle is like knew I probably got an offer in my back
0: pocket. Yeah, like it's it's certain things that I happen. can be a bit cavalier with how I approach this this end of season. There's certain conversations you don't have via text and there's certain conversations you don't have via email either. <laughs> right? Like for instance, if like if if you're with your significant other and you're like, "Hey, I'm going to call you. I'm going so we're going to make a decision on our vacation. I'm going to call you later today." Right? And then you don't show up That's the next That's a FaceTime. Day. That's right. a FaceTime. And then you don't yeah. show up the next day. And you send Share an email. Share screen on the Zoom. And then you send an email the next day instead. And you're like, what happened?
3: I don't know. That's a text to me. You got to have the, the records of it.
0: The records. Oh, look at you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Josh <laughs> is a big, uh, I'm taking the FaceTime, but also I'm also screen recording.
0: Yes, he is. <laughs> you're, He's not like, gonna catch me. <laughs> you're not going to catch me. You're not going to be able to twist my words. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to be able to hold out against so me. Good. But, okay. So that's just uh the the whole Dubis yeah. thing. So I, I don't I don't cry for anybody here really. Um but good on him for getting a big role. The question I have though, Bic is and I'll you know, you too, Josh, you can answer this. Who's gonna be more successful? Trey living in Toronto or Dubas in Pittsburgh? Okay, how are we measuring success here? Is it like team
2: success?
0: Yeah, I mean, long-term team success. Let's give it a, I mean, we have to give it, what, five-year windows? GMs aren't promised more than five or presidents' five-year windows. Over the next five years, whose future, which organization would look at and be like, okay, they got this right? Yeah, in my own head, I'm going to say this
2: as... Like if you make the third round, that to me is a successful season.
0: It's a conference final.
2: So I, I'm gonna say, like, which team is more likely to make the conference final in the next five years? Man, I kind of think Penguins. You think?
3: Mm. I'm going Leafs, just based on like
2: they actually have it, it's yeah. all
3: there. Just figure it
2: out. But I just feel like it was so bad in Pittsburgh that we're we're chalking it up as like, oh, they're old. And if there were some deeper-seated issues that struck a chord with a lot more, okay, like I think, I think if if Cindy Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang give you one more peak, hey, we're still the guys' season versus trusting some of the Toronto guys for five seasons, yeah. I might take the the, the Crosby side.
0: Okay, can, can you put it this way then? Um, and, you know, somebody says that's a very difficult, tough question to ask, and it is a tough question to ask, but still. You, you that's look why we're here say, for fun conversations. Exactly. It is a tough, not an easy question to ask. Which team is more likely to win a Stanley Cup then in the next three years? Toronto.
3: I almost say Pittsburgh.
0: Oh, wow. Here <laughs> I, we go. I, I'm, I'm backtracking <laughs> on my own logic, but. Yeah. I, I, I'd almost say, you know what? I mean, I, I I like Brad Trey Living. You know, yeah. I, I mentioned this before, too. Like, I, I know he's not perfect. And if you look at it in terms of, like, a, a president of Hockey Ops, I think Dubas is more suited for the role he has than Trey Living is for that role. But if you're looking at it for the role they have in Toronto and him being a GM in that role and, and what to do, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he does, like, make some right calls here on the team. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes some, like, he makes a couple of trades and it... And What's the first right roster. call to you? I don't even know what the right call. is. Because now I want to on record when they don't do this. That's going to be like, oh, wrong call, <laughs> wrong call. I mean, I don't know what the right call is, but it was a wrong call. You can't be doing that. Because
2: uh, like again, I if they trade Mitch Marner, that to me is like that's not the right no. call. And
0: I mean, but it seems like it's something that could happen. It could happen, but it's going to be difficult. And also, even uh, Willie Nylander. there was some yeah. talk that Shanahan doesn't want to move him. So what are you going to do? That's the right call. That's the right call. Not moving. <laughs> not moving him. That detective is the right question. You
3: look at like. Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and you just know if you trade them, you're going to lose the trade. But also, how are you going to make changes? Because like, nobody's...
2: But enough about the Vancouver Cuts. <laughs> 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 That That's literally every conversation we have. It's like, <laughs> hey, they're <laughs> probably going to have to lose a trade, but what else can they do after losing the trade? Yeah,
3: But like, you can't move Tavares, right? Like, nobody's no, going you, to... Like, you literally to can't. Yeah. yeah,
2: you literally can't. So...
0: But okay, I mean, I think I think the play that they're probably going to do is what uh, buy out T.J. Brody, right? Or try to move him, and then that creates a little bit of cap space for you. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they do something like that, and and they do try to reload around those guys yeah, and not to, trade them.
3: So, like, go after who, and what assets do you have? Who are you gonna mm-hmm. who are you gonna trade? You traded away so many picks already.
2: Yeah, one of the most bleak situations. Like, what's funny about you know. Taking the Pittsburgh job is—I I do think it's one of the bleaker situations. Outside of having the the, the headlines of Crosby right. Malkin, it's not like they're flush with picks. Uh, it's not like they've had a great prospect pool because they've been burning capital. For so long. Right, uh, burning capital from the Rutherford Alvin era. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just want to <laughs> throw it, that in there. They won two Stanley Cups. It just, just no. I know it's like they they had the reward. Yeah, I was, yeah. I'm just saying it's like right now from from where you come in, um, it, it's not as if it's a, it's a flush prospect pool. But is is this that a, like do you do a mini retool on the fly here to 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 maximize two three years of Crosby Malkin Latang?
0: Yeah. So as much as I like you know Brad Trier living and everything, I kind of agree with Josh that I think Pittsburgh like their situation isn't as dire as people make it out to be. Like I I would bet it's it, not great. It's not great. But but I do think they have more cap flexibility than than people realize.
3: Twenty million. Yeah next
0: year you have a lot of calf flexibility and all their key guys are signed like they don't have to sign they they, they don't have like a key free agent they have to sign you know
3: the point i was making on people show is that when you look at their core crosby didn't you call him overrated
0: on people's show i called
2: dubis overrated
3: (laughs) let's go i like it Team itself is fine but crosby malkin Latang, and that's why i'm saying like toronto screwed because dubis messed it all up anyway (laughs) anyway Crosby, Malkin, Letang. <laughs> like, as far as a core goes of three elite players, mm-hmm. is there a cheaper core than that?
2: That's not a bad it's – it's Of a only boy. three players?
3: Like, three players that you're like, okay, hey, these are the guys, two forwards, a defenseman, forward defenseman, goalie, whatever, that can still perform at an elite level and be the guys that are the main driving force behind winning a co- – Patterson,
0: Hughes, Demko. You.
2: <laughs> My math sucks here. So uh, 12.2, what is that, 20? It's around 20 million.
0: Yeah,
3: okay. Whereas when you look at Toronto, it's like 30 million.
0: Huh. It's right? a good point. And you know what? He's right, because if you look at their top six, it's pretty much set. Their defense, they need some help, obviously, but mm-hmm. at least Latang and Petrie, they have to figure out goaltending. But with the amount of space that they do have, I wouldn't be surprised that next year we're talking about Pittsburgh like being one of the better teams in the East. And I don't think they have a lot left. Like You're literally talking about one or two ye- yeah. years with uh, um, Letang and I mean with Crosby and Malkin here and maybe you catch lightning in a bottle. But I think the next couple of years I think they have a better pathway for playoff success than Toronto does. Now long term Toronto's obviously the better situation. I-, I look at a couple of names there like
2: Gensel and Carter a yeah. year away from unrestricted free agency. Now Carter's obviously 30, 38 but that's why I wonder, it's like, hey, if you want to do a retool on the fly, Gensel
0: someone you explore. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you could. You certainly could. That's kind of a bold move that you could make, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like he pairs so well with Sidney Crosby. I can't believe they added Mikhail Grandlin. Give him a second round pick to to burn five million in cap space. What that's a your trade. guy. Just just trade. light it on fire. That that's your guy. <laughs> Just light $5 million on cap, uh, $5 million cap space on fire. Yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of my take on that situation. Um, now, obviously, uh, it is Canucks Central, and we did talk about the Canucks a little bit with Yannick earlier. when we are we talking about the draft, and we'll talk more about that. Would Jeff Brady Carter Yeager. be a good 3C? He'd be fine. He'd be okay. But is he on your list? Okay, we promise we have a top five list of centers yeah. to target uh, for the Vancouver Canucks, whether it's trade or free agency. And the reason, I mean, we're looking at guys that, A, are realistic to add. Because Ryan O'Reilly would be number one on my list. Yeah, of realistic. course. There's certain players yeah. too, right? And somebody texted in about Adam Lowry. And I think that's a great suggestion. And there's some talk that Adam Lowry may be uh, on the move. But I think the price to acquire him is going to be like pretty yeah. uh, pretty high. But Mike
2: right? and Campbell River said, I, I, I have Lowry as my 3C target. It might not be available, but... Uh...
0: Just a rumor to be changing direction. Hope the Canucks inquire. That yeah, like Cam River. I mean, it's one of those things. Like, would I move a prospect? That's not you know one of your top mm-hmm. end guys and something. Sure. sure, but I just I think a guy like him, especially center, and you see how teams have success in the playoffs. I think somebody's going to pay up for him.
2: The only person I put on my like unrealistic wish list. Was Kupari. It's like, yes.
0: hey, I'm willing to pay of course. a premium to go get a player like that. Yeah. I don't know if I am for Adam Lowry. Yes, exactly. So it comes down to like you know guys who uh, fit a role or not. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have a top five list. How do you want to do it? Do we just want to do one each or just name your top uh, five? We haven't told each other our top five, so not I imagine really there's going to be
2: some crossover a little bit, I imagine. Yes.
0: Uh, just start from your top. All right, so the n- number one target on my list, I'm, I'm going off the board a little bit here. Okay. Jake Evans. Oh, wow. Like he's definitely not a mine. Yeah. So the reason I like Jake Evans a lot is he's a guy who can do a bit of everything. Um, his, his face-off numbers are solid. He's a physical player. He's good on the PK. He can. He's not really a, a massive offensive guy, but he has a little bit of pop in his game as well. He's a right-handed centerman, and he's about 26 years old. has two years of control. The contract isn't huge. It's 1.7. Yeah, and he's not like an Adam Lowry type where it's going to cost an exorbitant amount. And does he really fit in long-term in Montreal? Can you make a smart move here where you're moving a prospect that could be enticing to Montreal where they're thinking long-term and you take on a center who can maybe grow with you and has a bit more to his game? That's that's the reason why I have him, because of the age group. There are guys who are better right now. Mm-hmm. But if I'm looking at profiling cost of acquisition, uh, that's why I have him number one on my list.
2: Yeah, cost of acquisition is a big reason why Teddy Bluger is number one on my list. Mm. And there's some familiarity with, yeah, obviously, yeah. The, the the Pittsburgh stuff. Um, but I kind of feel like the stock on Teddy Bluger probably much lower then maybe it was three two, two seasons ago, three seasons ago. But I still think there's a sharp, steady defensive center that the fami- familiarity is the big reason he's probably up my list. Not a right-handed center though, mm-hmm. right? And so if he's going to be a UFA, um, could it be cheaper? But he doesn't necessarily fill that right center role. But cost of acquisition and familiarity were the two big driving forces uh, why he was number one on on my list.
0: So uh, since you mentioned Teddy Bluger, he's on he's on my list as there well. There we go. He's number five on my list, and the reason I have him a number five is there are the guys I prefer. But familiarity, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. and he's going to be cheap. Yeah. He's not going to cost a lot in free agency. And if you can't go and get a bigger target, I think he's a perfect stopgap. One or two years, he's still not super old. Twenty what 20, 27 years old, twenty eight. He still has some game left, obviously. He can fill that gap. For he's turning 29. Time. He's turning 29. Turn but yeah. he's, he has—he can fill that gap yeah. until, A, Oman's ready. B, you find an, another guy via trade. I'm okay with him. That's why I have him at number five on my list. Uh, number two uh, was a name we mentioned earlier this week,
2: Colton Sissons. Mm-hmm. Not just because of the local product, but, A, hey, he's right-handed shot. $2.85 million cap hit for another couple of years. The PK numbers can be a bit higher, but again, we're talking about realistic targets here. Not every guy that's great on the PK is going to be available for you. The thing I like, and again, we'll get into this in just a little bit here, it's 49.3% on shorthanded faceoffs. That's good. Which, let me tell you, that's better than you realize. It's It's (laughs) 54.6% defensive zone faceoff percentage, right-handed shot. Again, Nashville, I, I can understand why they would be after some scoring wingers. And they have some center depth, right? They got um, Tomasino, Mm -hmm. they've they've worked out with um, Cody Glass, it seems like he's kind of reclaimed his form there, Ryan Johansson's there, Thomas Novak had some success down the middle uh, for them, and I I just wonder if they're in a spot where they're looking at it like, hey, 2.8 doesn't really make a lot of sense for us anymore uh, in this role. And look, plays a very rugged game
0: yeah he he certainly does and I do like his game a lot and I, and I think the point you just made about uh, winning face-offs on the PK it's so it's so massive I'm I, I'm big on hey face-offs can be overrated in general yes but on the PK and situationally they do matter and more than anything I think what you what the Canucks need is somebody to take some pressure off JT Miller yep. JT can't be your best PK face-off guy and that means he's gonna have to take a lot of PK face-offs which means he has to play the PK a lot which means more ice time than he needs Again, that's a bit of an issue. You have to be able to take that load off of him.
2: You, you'll see a recurring trend in my names. Yes. That they're all PK guys that, again, you try to find what you can because, you know, I'll just give you the stat. Okay, over the last three years, stat. Okay. How many centers across the league or how many players, forwards across the league, do you think have a better than 50% face-off percentage on the
0: penalty kill? Better than 50% on the penalty kill uh, 45 It's lower How many? It's 32 30 So one for each team Now some of these guys
2: aren't even in the league anymore Like a Jay Beagle So there's 31 Like a Brandon Setter So 30 Like a Gaten Haas 29 Like a uh, there's, there's a few names here So we're talking about less than 30 players
0: That are above 50% shorthanded faceoffs Yeah you don't find them You just don't find them. They're really difficult. They're tough to find. There aren't that many of them. You either have to find somebody who's established or you make a projection. And the guy who comes in at number two on my list is a guy I'm making a bit of a projection on, a guy you've heard the Canucks be rumored to be after a bit, is Ross Colton. He plays wing, but he can play center. And actually, he's taken quite a few face-offs for his career. I think he's taken... um, uh, about 1,000 face-offs uh, in the National Hockey League so far, and he's won 52.1% of them. This past year, uh, he was up at 56%. He's never taken a single face-off on the PK. I don't know, but he seems to have very strong you know, face-off numbers. Could, it be a, could he be a guy you make a projection on? You play him down the middle consistently, he grows into a bigger role. I think the upside there, and as much as he's a player who's put up good numbers too, the cost of acquisition will be somewhat muted because it's not only is he RFA with Arbright's, but Tampa's in a cap strap situation. They're not going to be able to get a first round pick for him or anything like that. Which means it could be in the Canucks' price range to go after a player like Ross Colton. I uh, didn't make my list um, because, again,
2: you mentioned like the the acquisition can make sense. It's a, a cheaper contract, all that sort of stuff. I tried. I put this next guy on the list because what happens if all the ideal scenarios that we talk about don't? unravel themselves.
0: You can't get the young guy?
2: and you, Or the cheap guy. And you just have to find a different way to solve the problem of a th- third line center. And
0: you can't trade, say, Gar- Connor Garland for what you're looking to trade yes. him for to get the money Or off even your Brock books. Besser. Or the cost is too onerous yes. for you to get the money off your books.
2: And so you just have to, you, you have to solve the problem of third line center somehow this summer. So I'm adding this guy only because it's a different way to solve it. He's, he's probably not the third guy on my list, but I'm adding him because it's a different way to solve the problem. Are you trying to create a conversation?
0: Yes, yes. (laughs) All right. It's like you're warning me for this name, JG Pajot. What? Yeah. Isn't he owed like six million for the next like seven years? He's it's a chunk of change. Okay. Like how much is he? I'm trying to
2: find people that are qualified for the role. It's three more years at five million dollars. Five million. He's turning thirty-one.
0: Thirty-one.
2: Look, I know, but let's not pretend he isn't a reliable
0: player. He is. He is. Like discount to no. Discount <laughs> discount or not at a premium cost. Uh yeah, okay. I mean if you can't move Garland, f- trading his five million for Pajot's five million the next three years? Yes. So it's, it's the same it's, contract. It's the exact like, same contract. You're paying an extra 50K, which you just lost 50K the, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean I, I hold my I don't love it. I hold my nose. I know. But I'm just saying okay. all
2: the other scenarios it's fine. Falling by the wayside. This guy who wins forty-nine point four percent shorthanded the last few years. But again, in the D zone, fifty-five percent. Yeah, situational player, decent penalty killing numbers, just a smart defensive player, right-handed shot. It's solving the problem differently, and I'm I'm just adding it to the list because I think it's an interesting name.
0: Yeah, okay, I get it. And you know what, I'm not going to burn you too much because I have a couple of guys, and I'll give you two back-to-back here uh, because they kind of fit the similar range. I put I have at number three on my list, Colton Sissons. And then at yeah. number four, I have Radic Faxa. Both guys who have some term left mm-hmm. on their contracts. It's also a bite-the-bullet situation. Faxa, two years, at over $3 million. Now, he may be un- more unrealistic because he really fits Peter DeBoer, and they may be unwilling to make that swap. But I'd be all for swapping Garland or somebody for like that. And the other guy, obviously, Colton Sissons. Right-handed centerman, can do a bit of everything. Local boy, has speed, a little bit of pop offensively as well. He fits the bowl to the third-line center you're looking for. So if you can't move the salary to go and get those other guys, those are two guys I, I try to target. I'd like to see them make a swap for if possible. I'll give my the last
2: two guys here, just because the right-handed shots. Noel Achari is one. Mm. Again, UFAs. Yeah, yeah. Noel
0: m- Yeah, not too much money either.
2: yeah. And the reason I left uh, like a David Comp off the list was left handed shot versus righty. He's already took the one yeah. lefty. And, yeah. So Noel Charlie, age 32. I'll, I'll give one more Luke Lindenning. Ah, oh, here we go. I know he's age 34, might even be turning 35, but it's the one kind of list that was above 50% face offs on the PK. On the PK. So 52. he's 2.3 the last three seasons. That's your Jay Beagle. Yeah. And, you know, we talked the <laughs> other day about, hey, the, 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 for- yeah. the 13th forward. Yeah, Lucic Reese okay. types. If you can find a situational guy that just keeps picking up gigs and, and he's a good leader, I've too. wondered for four years why Luke Lindenning doesn't get a more secure gig. He just parachutes into a team, wins a bunch of face offs, and moves on to the next team. I just wonder if he's the style the style of guy you can just say situational depth guy.
0: Yeah, I, you know what? I, I'm with you. Like I'd prefer. I'm with you as much as I think this team needs a loud voice. But uh, I, if you're looking at, would you rather have Sheldon Drys as your 13 forward or Luke Glendening? I'd rather have Glendening, and he can he can mm-hmm. play down the middle for you situationally. Would help your PK out. I'm all for adding a player like that as well. Uh, somebody texted in and asked us, "What about Barrett Hayton as 3 c uh, he's not a distressed asset and he may not be and you know okay he's not gonna be the player they thought picking a fifth overall mm-hmm. but he had 43 points this past year had 19 goals you're not getting him cheap you're not getting players like that that are young and they have investment in cheap it's gonna cost you a lot so i think that's kind of where where i'm at on that but uh chris and duncan says i knew it gmjb is disguised as bick nazar pajot <laughs> And someone else said, He's too small. Enough of these small forwards.
2: He plays tough
0: though. Yeah, that's true. He does play tough, yeah. I'll give you that. That's funny. Look, yeah, I, I, I gave you the, the the disclaimer that it was solving the problem a different right. way. Right. Hey, Leaf hater Steve says, What if Brandon Sutter wants to play and takes a one year, one million deal? I mean, hey, I, I think he would have to take league minimum. I'm not against that, but you just don't know. That's the question yeah. with him is you just don't know where he's at physically. Yeah. Can he be able to play or not? So it's you're, I'd be you're very happy a flyer. for him. Yes, of That'd course. That'd be tremendous if yes.
2: he's able to come back. Be super
0: happy for him too. But uh,
2: I'm yeah.
0: Not happening. All right. Uh, great stuff. Good discussion. Appreciate the feedback as always on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox. 650, 650. All right. Our, up next, we're, we are going to talk to Braden Yeager on Canuck Central.